payer sources, it was, well, it's really expensive. It's expensive for me as a private individual. It's also expensive for large insurance carriers, but it's also very expensive to us as citizens because Medicaid is the largest provider of long-term care support services. And so we wanted to build the company, the helper bees around how do we deliver a scalable model, not only to individuals and older adults, but also the payer sources to help us from a societal benefit how do we reduce that burden, that financial burden? And that's the power of scale and that's the power of technology. At Moomer Living Senior Living Broadcast, we are proud to be a part of a group of extraordinary industry leaders who are working toward a stronger society and a better future for older adults. Here, we have conversations that identify challenges and opportunities to enhance the baby boomers, the parents, and the grandparents' lives. We hope that you enjoy these conversations. We believe their ideas will expand perspectives and encourages more people to join our efforts. So please let us know your thoughts, and I invite you to be a part of the conversation. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Nice meeting you in person. Good to meet you. I know we've we got connected a while back, so I'm happy to be here. Well, great. Well, today I welcome Dr. Shar Hugh to the program. After completing his doctorate at Baylor College of Medicine, Shar translated his biomedical research experience into Alzheimer and dementia care, founding and directing the certified dementia community. He's currently the CEO of the Helper Bees, partnering with insurance carriers and health plans to provide um, the tools for older adults to stay independent, healthy, and longer at home. Shar, welcome to yep. Boomer Living. I'm excited to be here, finally. Yeah. What was the unmet need that you saw when founding the Helper Bee? As you mentioned, I translated out of science, Alzheimer's care delivery and senior living facilities because of my grandmother. We would always, we built fantastic facilities just north of Austin. Austin, Texas, and all evidence-based focus, boutique-type atmosphere, but families routinely would come out and say, I wish I never met you. So they would say, even though we have this, this wonderful facility, would say something along the lines of, wish we never met you, wish we never had to move in. And that was just because the home care options just weren't suitable for them to keep their loved one at home. They were also commenting on the disease, of course, but also just the care types. And so there will always be a place for senior living facilities because it just stretches both budget as well as primary caregivers for stress levels. But to the unmet need for our founding team, we realized that there's no really great scalable way to create home care in a modern approach. Home care, in my mind, hasn't changed in decades and decades. And so we were thinking hey, we're having a massive boom in not only aging in place technology, but technology in general. Technology in the way we think about different business models as well as hardware and software. How do you marry all of these things together and create something that might delay the need for a facility? And we're not trying to prevent it completely, but just delay and keep people at home. So that was one huge unmet need. The second though, which is mentioned in the bio is around payer sources. It was, well, it's really expensive. It's expensive for me as a private individual. It's also expensive for large insurance carriers, but it's also very expensive to us as citizens because Medicaid is the largest provider of long-term care support services. And so we wanted to build the company, the helper bees around how do we deliver a scalable model, not only to individuals and older adults, but also to payer sources to help us from a societal benefit. How do we reduce that burden, that financial burden? And that's the power of scale and that's the power of technology. That's awesome. You mentioned your grandmother who was living with Alzheimer was a motivating factor for you in founding Helper Bees. 
Can you talk a little bit how this personal experience with Alzheimer impacted you or motivated you personally yeah. and professionally? Yeah, yeah. It completely motivated me professionally. I have a complete career now that I never thought I would have gone into, which a lot of people in long-term care, like we have a lot of us, when you see the people who are very passionate about it, had a, a very visceral personal experience. Mine was my popo, which was my mother's mother. She, like a lot of folks, probably started showing signs when I was in, in undergrad but really didn't come to really hit us in the face hard until my graduate school years. And I remember having to quote unquote babysit, which was just every evening, one of my sisters or I would spend an hour with her and just sitting and talking. And she would replay a lot of historical issues that might've happened, might've misremembered certain things. But my family is of Chinese descent. I was born here, but my parents immigrated here. And there's a sort of stereotype around East Asian cultures that we take care of our own we would never go to a facility. It turns out we had to. It just became so challenging for our family that you would literally have to have one other human being watching that individual. And that guilt, that, just that again, that visceral family experience stayed with my mom for many years. And, and they had already retired, but they decided, hey, let's fund something that makes this a little bit better. And I was just a kid out of school. I, I went to college at 16. I went straight into undergrad, sorry, into graduate school. and. I came on early on just to try to help out a little because my mom said I had no re practical real world experience, which she was right. And it's hard not to fall in love with the area and it's hard not to fall in love with the unmet, many unmet needs out there. And if you're a problem solver, you'll see a lot of problems to solve and you'll start a lot of companies. So I founded three or four different companies after that and or had a founding role in it rather. And yeah, it led me on a career I would, again, never thought I would have gone down. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. So do you often keep your own grandmother in mind when working and helping families in their search for quality in-home care? It's an interesting question because there's so much I do, but it's probably not in, in the obvious way behind it. When I focus on dementia care, my grandma was difficult for us. Even as a scientist, I didn't understand the disease. Within the first month, I realized my grandmother was actually on the acuity spectrum in senior living, one of the more independent ones. They're very challenging individuals. So in that sense, I do keep her in mind in that, wow, we had no idea how challenging this disease can be. Like We thought we had it bad. This is really challenging, especially when you get into sort of, sort of more behavioral disturbances that my grandmother didn't have, physical outbursts. So I keep her in mind and I'm like, wow, that's, this is a lot more challenging. This is how bad it was for us. I cannot imagine how it is for this family. Let's run towards that problem. Let's try to, to fix it, sort of quote unquote, fix it. On the helper bees side, I do because they're, they're so early in the journey and we didn't reach out for help. We grit and bared it until it was to a breaking point, which is something that I know that you have a lot of folks talk about. And I think about that and how whenever I close any talk, when I talk to any caregivers, reach out for help soon. Because we didn't, like we didn't. The, we the didn't one, either. right? It's the the perverse one good thing about these aging related issues, especially something like dementia, is where it's going to go. You know the progression, so you might as well be prepared. So I keep that in mind a lot. Is like, how do we prepare people? Because we're guides. Because we've been there before. We've done it thousands of times now, and I believe it's our job to show them where the pitfalls are and, and where the light could be. I think it's such a cultural shift though, right? Because I think often I think of the word decline, especially when it's cognitive decline, it's very frowned upon and it's grouped into like perhaps even shameful, which oh, yeah. we need to shift that, okay? And then I think often we think of the word, let's say later years, it's to be very glamorous. 
it's retirement that is glamorous. But under that huge umbrella of retirement, let's say mid 80s and, and beyond, well, as you and I know, it, it may not be glamorous. So right. we're just caught up in the, the glamour, whatever that might be, and feel ashamed of aging and the decline of health. And I think that has a lot to do with Hollywood. You and I and the folks in the industry, boy, I'll tell you, we got a huge paradigm shift that I think we all can play a role in. Yeah, I have a theory around that. I think aging is relatively new for us as humanity, aging as we know it. If we look at life expectancy charts, like we are in this, it's unprecedented us living this long and this healthy, quote unquote, healthy. And so that's why we have age-related illnesses now because we're living old enough to start to have these. And so for us as humanity, it's this relatively new problem for us to wrestle. Even when I got in this a little over 11 years ago, there was a significant amount of shame. Caregiver support groups were a thing. It wasn't well attended. The sheer terribleness of the problem, the sheer scale of the problem means most of us now have had a direct interaction with it, which helps bring that shame out where it's now you and I can connect on a shared experience. It's a terrible shared experience, but we can connect on it and we can connect up to thousands of other individuals. I think that causes us to be able to have, to shine a light on it and us to look at new solutions. Like you mentioned, like even this, the fact that we're even talking about it, I think it's, it's a remarkable shift. You mentioned a paradigm shift. It's an indicator that the, it's occurred and it's happening at an accelerated rate. And we're starting to think about it in a different way and looking as we're romanticizing aging or being ashamed of aging. And that's because people like you are having the conversation, but it's relatively new. So I don't want to be too hard on ourselves. This is a one, maybe two generations that have had to deal with this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the journey that we're on is still very new because folks who are, let's say, in the mid-50s that I am, by no means do I feel like in my 50s, and certainly folks who are 30 years ago that were in their mid-50s and where I'm at right now, very vastly different. And what a blessing is that. So that paradigm shift is overdue and we got to amplify it, especially COVID. And I think we have the attention from the media. So let's go and let's do it. It's much needed. Yeah. So now let's take a step back and talk about the state of American aging. And what will the impact of this large population of boomers planning to age in place? So what do you think that's going to happen? Huge question. So I'll give my tiny point of view and perspective <laughs> on it. So I'm interesting in the senior living world because I'm a senior living guy, like just cut my teeth in that and absolutely love the industry. Now I'm a home care person. And I think the move to the home is where everybody wants to be. I think COVID has really opened our eyes to some of the limitations of facilities. Although again, I think they're critically important to our healthcare system. And I'll use that word healthcare system as well as our age-related illness system. I think that with home care though, we have this swelling of innovation. The issue is who can afford it? Who can afford the age in place? Now, let's say we have the coolest new technologies, figuring out who pays for it and how we pay for it and how we start to plan for it is something that I think we've been spending a lot of time thinking about where, as you mentioned, it's not a problem that's 50, 60 years out. That'll still be a problem, but it's one today and it's just getting worse. So it's the need is significant. So we believe technology and data taking from other industries the ability to use technology and data to do what's what we'll think of like right-sized care, right-sized home care. Does everybody need eight hours, seven days a week of home care? Probably not. It's very expensive. 
But if you could do, let's say, like activity monitoring or sort of predictive analytics to say, you have these activities of daily living you really need support with at these times, let's use a caregiver three hours in the morning and two hours at night, then we're able to reduce that rate and that it allows it to become a little bit more affordable. So that's all to say that when we marry technology and humans and decide how we get great caregivers, great paid caregivers into the home at scale, I think that is a trend that we'll need in order to, A, pent up consumer demand is here. That's what you want. And they're going to want a better user experience. And I believe in all other facets of our lives where we use technology and data and accessibility, we're going to want that with our home care solution. So that's a narrow view of where we're going to go to meet this massive demand. It's got to be our home. That's the only way we can't build a ton of these independent living facilities. And they can be quite expensive for a lot of Americans. Sure, sure. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. So now, how does this look different from how previous generations have chosen to age? How do you think this demand shift will impact the senior living industry as a whole? Well, I think in a couple of ways, just because I view from a data perspective, I think, A, we're more open to technology. I think even during the pandemic, we saw we did a lot of virtual technologies. And I think that individuals from all the way up to 90 are a lot more comfortable with technology, a lot more comfortable with video technology. You got to make it seamless. You got to make it easy to use. I think that's a big change that occurred over the last 14 months that probably didn't exist at scale beforehand. And I think that opens up a lot of windows from social isolation to depression to telemedicine, of course. We do telenursing services. So that's one area. And I think if you zoom out, though, the broader implication is that the end user is more open to different things. We're also perhaps a little bit more open to sharing our information if we get something really interesting back. We've learned from social networks that, yeah, they're going to use our user behavior data, but they're going to give us really tailored products that could that we have a choice on whether we want to purchase or not. I think if we twist that a little bit or, or skew it a little bit, I think you might have that with like remote patient monitoring devices or activity monitoring devices or wander guards. I think we're going to get a lot more comfortable using these technologies as we start to age. So I think this population, our population now is going to look really different from what it was a generation ago because they're just more comfortable with adopting new things and giving things a try too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. My mom and dad were very open to using technologies. And sometimes they had the latest, greatest technologies before I did. Now, how does having a mix of payer sources like long-term care insurance and Medicare Advantage lead the change in, of innovation in long-term care? Yeah. So I have a weird business wonky approach to thinking about this. I think about impetus for change. I think about what is a catalyst. I think we as an individual consumer base, so private pay people, which is predominantly who pays for long-term care, Medicare doesn't cover it, which most people think it does. We don't have the lobbying power, to, in my mind, to really force demand. And I think it's because of how expensive care is. But when we look at who has what I'll keep calling the liabilities, who has the risk Let's payer sources, especially long-term care insurance, which had issued quite a few policies in the early 2000s. And now those policies are coming, coming due, essentially, and their actuarial assumptions were all shot. They have a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars. They've got the impetus to change. They've got the scale to change. And they've got the funds to say, hey, what could work? And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of innovation. We already have, where big long-term care insurance companies are starting to figure out hey, this is a 20, 30-year problem that we're on the hook for. We have money now. Let's invest in it now. And let's cobble together a bunch of different data sources. And we have a lot of different claimants out there. And we can study them. So borrowing from a science research phase, you have the sample to study. Whereas recruiting all the individuals out there is going to be really challenging. So in a weird way, I think it's the 
perfect sandbox to deploy things. I use the example of a big long-term care insurance carrier wanted to deploy a caregiving robot. They could do it very quickly and they could analyze the effect out 12 to 24 months. And so I've seen a lot of innovation, some with our companies and some with others within the long-term care insurance world that I think are going to impact the broader aging, especially in the home, but also in the facility world for all Americans. And then I'll layer on that Medicare Advantage. It's a relatively new program. It's only about a year or two old, and it's still pretty small benefit, but I think you'll see the same. I think you'll start to see how do we bring in things like meal delivery, transportation services, home modification, which we're all helping Medicare Advantage plans right today coordinate those services. How does that affect aging at home? And that's where I think they have this accumulation of data source to say, is it working or does it not working? How important is the role of education, resources, and support programs when choosing long-term care option for yourself or for your loved one? I think it's critical. I think what we were talking about earlier about this becoming us knowing every person around us is going to have this issue. I think now we get to share information. We get to share what worked, what didn't work. We want to go research on our own. I use the example, when I buy a power cord for my phone, for my iPhone, I'm reading Amazon reviews and I'm spending $6 on a cord. What about my care options? There's a lot of disparate information out there. And it's a shocking amount, a lack of research that we do as consumers. But I think that's changing. I think people now are like, all right, what's out there? And is this it? And I think that's leading to a lot of innovation. Uh, a lot of folks just want to read on their own. Even older adults, you mentioned like your parents who are really tech savvy. They're gathering a ton of information on their own conditions. They're saying, what else is out there from a home modification perspective? Let me go research all of that. So I think in order to allow this to become at all economically feasible for us as a society is we take a little bit of that ownership and that's through education. This either through prevention for things like falls or medication management issues, but also how are we future-proofing our home? Let's think about this 10 years away. And that's only through learning through case studies that preceded us. So what do you think the role data plays in the future of long-term care? This is something we're incredibly passionate about. I alluded to it before, who has the impetus to change, who has the risk. If we really identify why that matters is there is a data model, a data profile of how to age in America. That's a really important concept. What interventions work? We always talk about fall monitors, meditation devices, social isolation, but who has the data that support this intervention package actually works for thousands or millions of people? The problem with getting that data is home care options, and I'm talking about non-medical options, are highly fragmented, meaning it's I hire a private caregiver myself or I use a home care agency, but that home care agency's data is not talking to this other. The aggregators of all this data tend to be insurance payer sources because you got to get paid. You got to submit for a reimbursement. And so what's interesting about that is if you put things like caregiving and nursing and social work on the same data platform, a picture emerges of how individuals start to migrate through their aging journey. What you have to do is create the common language, the common profile for that, so that you can extract really interesting information for you as an individual based on your zip code, your gender, your age, your diagnoses, but also your social determinants of health information. That's how we're going to be able to say, hey, Sharp, this is the thing you need. These are the three devices that you need based on your profile. And so what we're trying to do is create the common language for all non-medical home care to extract that information, which we'll call a data profile. I like to use the analog of electronic medical records, where it's a bit of a mess right now. You've got a bunch of different vendors. Not every physician's office is using the same service. But what if we could go back 60 years and say, hey, let's streamline this. Let's create a common language. That How powerful that could have been. I believe we're at the cusp of that right now. 
Where are you in this journey? I think we're one of the few, we're not the only, but we're one of the few that's putting all what I'll call major components of non-medical home care on the same data platform. We did that as a young company. We made a big stride towards that. And what's really interesting is those seeds that we planted, which is pretty complicated, we're able to now, we're starting to see them slightly germinate and start to see really interesting interventions. Because aging is such a long issue, we got a bunch of data early on. Let's say when you're starting to you're starting to show a little bit of debilitation, every single day we have visit notes and 12 data points, and then we have intervention data points. So it's still early, but I'm very optimistic. I even have like a bombastic statement that I think our company will understand aging in America better than almost anybody from a data perspective in about 12 months. Great, great. Look forward to learning more about that. <laughs> See if I'm right. We're trying at least. We're trying. It's good sure. to shoot for the moon. So absolutely. that's our goal. No, absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to walk me through, let's say I'm 80 years old, living at home. Walk me through the process, how helper bees can help me stay at home longer or defer the time that I would have to move into assisted living. Sure. So think about that user journey. I think it starts right now with a program we call Care Concierge. A Care Concierge program is exactly as it sounds. Like when we used to be able to visit hotels, someone have a concierge who understands the local resources and it just accelerates and says, hey, I know this restaurant or I know this guy over here. We do that same with the Care Concierge. It's very similar care management programs that post-acute healthcare has, except we focus specifically on age-related issues. So our Care Concierge will talk to you or an 80-year-old and say, hey, what's, what are your challenges? Tell me what's going on during your day. Most 80-year-olds don't have a care plan in mind, so they're not going to tick off. I have an ambulation difficulty, and I need a hands-on assist in the bathroom. So you're just having a dialogue, and what we're doing is assessing the individual's needs. During that assessment, we might be able to find out, like, oh, you're really, you weren't able to get out and go to an art class. So part of your action plan might be to have social activities via Zoom or something like that or an iPad app or physical therapy. We break up into big categories of needs, which is around physical needs, social needs, financial needs. And that's the start. We call them action plans. So we say, what are the unmet needs? What are the action plans locally that you can take? And we send that to you. A lot of time that's around home care support services. And so then we funnel that to another part of the company where we use personality-based matching of home caregivers. We also have a network of eight home care agencies that have reduced rates. And what we're trying to do is match you with a great service provider that's either a private agency or a private individual that's at a lower cost. And we can negotiate better rates because we have scale. And that might be it. That's, hey, I need right-sized care. We help negotiate and create a care plan. Or it could be, hey, I need a nurse to do a consultation. And we can do that over video. Or I need to go to the Louvre and have a virtual walk through the Louvre because I miss art and I miss interaction. So it's a huge spectrum of needs. And then we present that and then we follow up routinely. Could be monthly, could be every two weeks, it could ever be every 60 days and just track that progress. And we see how that evolves over time. We have a structured data set to make sure that we're tracking you properly and we can pull out that data later. You're nationwide, I take it, right? That's right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's correct. Okay. So now in general, where do you think long-term care industry will go in the next 20 years? I think that there's gonna be a huge adoption of technology in general, both in facility-based care and home-based care. And I think you're going to start to see a blending between that ease of transition to home and to facility. I think you'll start to see before we were on opposite ends. I think in a few years, you're going to start to see a little bit of a melding. And I keep talking about user experience. And I use that because that's just how we think about the world is as you navigate through age-related issues, it'll be pretty seamless. You'll know what's coming and you'll know what your care options are. And that's partly senior living folks and home care folks lending their offering and having what we'll call continuity of care. 
But that's part and parcel with the education piece that you had mentioned. I think all our consumers are going to they're going to know what they want and they're going to know really what they don't want. And they're going to be demanding. It's going to force us as business operators and innovators to change pretty quickly to meet that demand. So I think the power of the purchasing power is going to be really interesting. You're going to see in full force starting now. Great, great. So do you have any other thoughts that you would like to share? I think you've got a wide audience. I'll use what I always close with on educational seminars when I'm not talking about broadly data. I think it's get prepared, talk to a lot of folks, seek help. There's no shame in this. We're all going to do it. If we're lucky, we're all going to go through this. And I think there's a power in talking about it and seeking guidance for others who have been there or other professionals out there because it, it leads to an insanely high quality of life. I agree. I think at the very least, whatever age that you're in, perhaps it could be the daughter who are in their 50s, mid 50s, like I am, start having that conversation with your parents and walk them through that journey because you know what? It's really, I believe information is widely available, but it's making that decision and convincing your parents that it's time. And then accepting this journey that as a family, it's not just individuals, it's a whole family. And the more united, educated they are, they're likely to make better decisions, whether it's in home, out of the home. I think the goal is to live at whatever age, whatever health condition that you're in to the fullest, thrive and with purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you talk about it, the more it normalizes it and it makes it more of a normal conversation. In a way, you get to choose your own destiny. So people believe facilities are a lack of choice. I don't think it is. I think that if you don't do anything, you will be forced into an option because you likely waited too long. So if you flip it, if you start planning and talking about it, that's when your desires are expressed and you can make, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. And I think that's an important area for choice. And that's a huge component. That's one of the taglines of our company, which is your home, your choice. We're built around Mm -hmm. individuals choosing their own options. And we're just here to guide you towards them. If it's us, great. If it's somebody else, also great. But make an educated decision and make it sort of eyes wide open. You're right about that. I I love that analogy. The sooner you start, you have more options. The later you go into it, then exactly, perhaps you might be forced into something that you don't want. So very good analogy. I thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to talk. For sure. And if there's anything we can help support, we can. And yeah, we'll definitely share it and, and try to get that, that exposure for both of us. Great. All right. I thank you for your time. Thanks. It was fun. Hopefully All it was right, good. Take care. Bye-bye. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review Boomer Living Senior Living Broadcast wherever you get your podcast. One of my favorite things is to hear from you, the listener. So please leave a review and let us know what you think. And I read all of the reviews. Also, please pass it along, your friends, family, co-workers, and anyone aging. So please leave a review and I love to hear from you.